Well, good morning, faith family. If you got your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 will be our passage. If you're a guest with us, visiting with us today, we're so thankful that you're here. Last week, we uh, started a series where we're talking about uh, the radical and redemptive grace of God. And so it's a series that we're calling the Grace Parade. Grace is something that we think we know a lot about, but when you start really understanding it from uh, what the Scripture teaches, it is a scandal. It's outrageous. It's unthinkable to think about God's radical grace. So that's what we're doing, and we're going deeper in our understanding of that. In fact, if you ask me to, in one word, tell you what separates Christianity from everything else, that one word would probably be grace. Because in almost every other system, in fact, every other system, it's all about what you do, but only in Christianity is about what God has done for us. And that comes to us through His grace. This morning we look at Matthew chapter 5, a passage that's going to be very familiar to a lot of you. Even if you're not all that familiar with church, my guess is uh, you've come across the Beatitudes. And I want to show you this morning how the Beatitudes has everything to do uh, with the grace parade that Jesus is leading. Let's look now at Matthew 5 and verse 1. If you're able to stand, I'll invite you to please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Faith family, you need to know that your pastor is absolutely convinced that this is the Word of God. Matthew 5 verse 1 says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask you now to come and talk to us. Come and speak to us by your Spirit. When we open up your Word, supernatural things happen. And it's certainly not because of the words of a man. It's because of your words. And so, Father, I pray that you would come and teach us now what this grace parade is all about and that you would take us deeper into understanding the depths of your grace, even though it will be the complete opposite of everything we hear in our world. To that end, we pray to the glory of one name only, and that's the name of Jesus. We ask it in his name, and God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. They called him the glass man. His real name was Charles VI. Charles was uh, the king of France in the 14th century, and uh, he lived with a constant fear. His fear was that he would be broken. The reason he had this fear was because Charles had become convinced in his life that he was made of glass. Now, before you laugh at him or dismiss him in some way, you need to understand this was a real uh, mental disorder for Charles, and it's something that history tells us consumed his life. For instance, he was uh, terrified to go outside on windy days for fear that the, the wind might break him. 
He was terrified going downstairs because he was afraid that he would fall and shatter. He would have guards, like if he was going to go out in public, he would have guards go out before him and kind of clear a path so that he wouldn't bump up against anybody or anything. He would sit in his room for hours, motionless, afraid that he might make a wrong move. And lastly, history tells us that he would wrap himself in blankets and that he had special clothes made with iron rods to protect his body from breaking. This is how he lived life every day. Can you imagine I mean, can you imagine living in that kind of fear? Can you imagine being paralyzed with that kind of thinking? Like watching every move you make, being cautious about every step that you would take, guarded around every person that you would meet, all for the fear of being broken. Can you imagine? You see, dear faith family, I would ask you this morning not to laugh at Charles. Because most of us are just like him. We are terrified at the idea of being broken. Or to say it a different way, we go to great lengths to maintain our image that everything's fine, nothing's wrong here. In our culture, image is everything, is it not? I mean, in our culture, for instance, we are the altered online profile culture where we will distort who we really are to impress others, Mr. Captain America. We are the glossy, touched-up glamour shots to make ourselves appear to some standard of beauty. We're the put-on-a-happy-face Or somebody asks you how you're doing and you say, oh, I'm fine, when you're anything but fine. Ours is the don't ever let anybody see you cry culture. Don't let anybody see your weakness. My fear is that in our culture we are a lot like Quasimodo. We keep our ugly in the tower. Because image is everything. Faith family, listen to me this morning. That approach to life may get you by in the world of man, but it will leave you out of the kingdom of God. That approach to life of I've got to maintain this image and I can't dare let anybody see my brokenness, it will get you places in this world, but it won't get you in the kingdom. Because the only people that are getting into the kingdom of God, the only people that will be a part of this grace parade are the broken. That's exactly, and I hope you never forget it, what Jesus teaches in the Beatitudes. Look at it. Notice what Jesus is offering in the Beatitudes. Notice the reward here that is given, for instance, in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the, now say this with me, kingdom of heaven. Now look at verse 10. You're going to see the same phrase. Blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake, um, for theirs is the, say it with me, kingdom of heaven. You notice those two phrases that are the same. 
Uh, what's happening here in the Beatitudes, this is really important. If it wasn't important, we wouldn't get this technical, but I want you to see this. It's what's called an inclusio. You've heard me mention this before because it's fairly common in the Scriptures. An inclusio are simply two brackets. They're like two pieces of bread in the sandwich, if you will. And why that's important is because what's happening in the Beatitudes is that this is a unit. They go together. These aren't random sayings like the New Testament version of Proverbs. These are a unit that goes together describing, listen, not different kinds of people, but one kind of person, the kind of person that gets in the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is for these. Now, your response might be at this point, kingdom of heaven, big whoop. I mean, who really cares? Let's be honest. When people start talking about heaven, a lot of people start responding like this. I'm going to say it out loud. It's boring. I mean, people talk about heaven in a way that makes the history channel sound fascinating. Gated communities, white robes, the never-ending choir concert, no offense for those of you that are in choir, but I'm saying what so many of you have thought before. I mean, it's better than the alternative, but it sounds a little boring. Well, my friends, you don't understand heaven, and you certainly don't understand what Jesus is talking about here, because Jesus is not talking about the place that you go when you die. Do you understand, dear friend, that Matthew, we were introduced to him last week, do you understand that Matthew is a Jew writing to Jews? And do you realize that Jews would often not say the name Yahweh, the word for God, out of reverence? So Matthew here has simply inserted the word heaven for the word God for the sake of his audience. In other words, kingdom of heaven means the same thing as the kingdom of God. Well, you say, what is the kingdom of God? I'm glad you asked. You ask such good questions, Berean. What is this kingdom of God you speak of? Well, it's not a political group. It's certainly not a geographic location. It's a person. And life with that person under his rule is where everything's made right. Life in the kingdom of God, life under the rule of God is where that which is wrong is made right, that which is broken is restored, that which is turned upside down gets made right side up again, for under the rule of God everything functions listen, according to the design of God. Let me prove it to you. Go back just a few verses. Matthew 4 verse 23. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the what? And healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Now, if you keep reading, you'll see that these are various diseases, pains, people oppressed by demons, paralytics, on and on, and Jesus heals them. So here's what's happening right here. Jesus is teaching about the gospel of the kingdom. He's te teaching about the kingdom, and he's performing what? Miracles. Why? Is this Jesus' version of like a magic show? Like he's the ancient Near Eastern version of David Blaine, and he's showing off all of his cool magic tricks. Watch this, you're never going to believe it. No. This is so important, faith family. Miracles 
are putting things back the way they're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be blind. We're not supposed to be addicted. We're not supposed to ever mention the name cancer. We're not supposed to be separated from God. These were things that were a part of the result of the fall. It's a part of the consequences of sin in the world. What Jesus is showing you is that he is the true Messiah. He's the ultimate Adam. He is subduing the creation by making things right again. Which is why when John the Baptist is in prison and he shoots off an email to Jesus saying, yo, bro, what's up? Are you the right one or not? Should I be looking for another? Jesus' response is not, John, you should really read your Bible. Jesus' response, Matthew chapter 11, verse 4, is this. You tell John that the blind receive sight and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the poor have the good news preached to them. Translation, you tell John that the kingdom of God is here. That the one who can make things right is here. That is what is being offered, you see, my friend, in the Beatitudes. It's the offering of the kingdom of God where what is broken gets restored. And that gets experienced, listen, in part now, in full later. There's testimony in this faith family of how God has restored relationships, marriages that have been put back together, hope that's been given out of despair, purpose that's been given to finances, meaning that's been given to life. My dear friends, that's nothing more than the kingdom of God happening right here. It's your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Preach, preacher. Are you with me? And and that's why we talk about it, Berean, that we exist to see our lives transformed by the power of the gospel. That's just another way of saying that we exist to spread the kingdom of God. Because what the kingdom of God is, is seeing our lives transformed back to the way it's supposed to be before sin entered the picture. And brother and sister, one day it's going to be in fullness. What we experience just a taste of right now is going to be the only thing we'll know one day. Romans 8, Revelation 21 speaks of a day when all creation will be under the rule of Christ. And in that day, get excited about this. There'll be no injustice. There'll be no death. We will never mention the word cancer again. All the effects of sin that have been since the Garden of Eden will be no more and everything will function according to his design. That, my friends, is heaven. I can get excited about that. Robes, harps, and choir practice, boring. But having everything broken in my life finally restored, I want to be there in that day. It's what Jesus is offering. Theirs is the kingdom. And so the question we should be asking now, if that's what the kingdom is, who gets it? And this is where I have a feeling you're not going to clap as much. Because you'll find books 
on the bookshelves at Barnes & Noble about heaven. But you won't find them about what I'm about to say. Because here's who gets the kingdom. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Who is this poor in spirit? It's certainly not the financial poor, because you can be poor in pocket and not be poor in spirit. The original word here for poor means to shrink, to cower, to cringe. It's the, the imagery like this, this of a, that of a beggar. That is, somebody who is spiritually poor is a person that has been reduced to total desperation, total destitution. They are spiritually bankrupt. They are begging for mercy. They got nothing whatsoever. They are bankrupt spiritually. In other words, this is what I want you to see. This is the profound moment. This is the light bulb moment for me as I begin to think about this grace parade as it relates to the Beatitudes. Watch. Notice this on the screen. If God's kingdom is where things are restored, then the only people allowed in are the broken. Or as Jesus would say, the poor in spirit. If the kingdom of God, listen, is where everything gets put back together, then the only people that get in the kingdom are those that are willing to admit they don't have it all together. <laughs> Amen, brother. All right, none of us do. None of us do. If the kingdom of God is where you get everything, then the only people that get in are those who say, I have nothing. I'm bankrupt. I'm spiritually desperate. His name was Jim Broddick. You may have heard the name. You may have even seen the movie about his life. He was a professional boxer in the 1920s. Boxed for three years. At the end of three years, his record was 44 and 2. And boy, was everything in his corner. People loved him. His manager bragged about him. Uh, he had it all. And then his entire career came to a halt uh, for two reasons. Number one, he broke his right hand and he couldn't box anymore. And then secondly, the Great Depression hit. And like many, Jim was broke and broken. He had nothing. His wife stood in line every day for a handout for food. They did not have the money to pay their bills. They actually had to send their kids away to live with relatives because they couldn't afford to even feed their own kids. And in a moment of desperation, Jim does something humiliating. He has to ask for help. Have you ever been there? I mean, you've got nothing. You have absolutely nothing. You've got nowhere to go. Nowhere to turn. You feel helpless and hopeless. Right here. If you've never been there spiritually, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. 
Because the only people that get into the relationship where things are restored are the people who admit they're desperately broken. In the words of the great hymn, Rock of Ages, you've heard me say this before, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to Thee for dress, helpless look to Thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. That's who the kingdom is for. It is in many ways restating what Jesus said last week, which is you're never going to come to the great physician until you understand you are sick. This is the kingdom. This is who the kingdom's for. And now, I don't have much time. I'd love to unpack every beatitude, but I just want to show you, keeping in mind that this is a unit, how seeing your poverty in spirit now leads to the rest of the beatitudes. Notice next, the right response of somebody who, ha- who is poor in spirit is now verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. Do you see the connection? In light of my poverty in spirit, in light of my bankruptcy, in light of the fact that I have nothing, I am broken over that. I am weeping. I am sorrowful over my sin. It's the kind of mourning you do when you have nothing. Do you know why? Because you have nothing. There's nothing in your hands that you bring. You don't have anything to bring. Anyways, you're mourning and broken over your poverty in spirit. Chuck Colson, a name that you may be familiar with, who was involved in the Watergate scandal during the Nixon presidency, describes this one evening, quote, That night when I sat alone at my car, my own sin, not just the dirty politics, but the hatred and evil that was so deep within me was thrust before my eyes. For the first time in my life, I felt unclean, and worst of all, I couldn't escape. I had nothing, and I couldn't do anything about it. And in those moments of clarity, I find myself driven irresistibly into the arms of the living God. That is how poverty of spirit leads to mourning and brokenness over your sin. But then notice, again, this is a unit. It all goes together. It builds on one another. Poverty of spirit leads to mourning. And that poverty in spirit and mourning, now verse 5, leads to meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is simply the idea of humility. It is realizing, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can't live for me. I'm poor in spirit. Huh? I'm a beggar. How am I, I going to make life about me when I've got nothing? It is, it is a, a, an act of surrender in humility, realizing who you are. And now that you realize who you are, guess what? Oh, come on, preacher, preach here. You're going to have to look outside yourself for the thing you need. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You see your poverty of spirit. You're broken over that. It gets you to a place of humility and surrender. And you look outside yourself for a righteousness you don't have. 
You hunger for it. You thirst for it. You desperately want it. And God gives it. How? By mercy. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And now you experience the mercy of God as he gives you his very righteousness. What we talked about in our Galatians series. We are now justified by faith in him. And as a result, our commitment is to him alone. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, that is a heart that is not divided in its loyalty, for they shall see God. And because we are committed to God, we want everybody to know about God. Are you with me this morning? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I don't have time to show you all these scriptures, but peacemaking in the Bible is simply the work of evangelism. Because the greatest peace is that which is brought between God and man. This is not blessed are those who break up high school fights. I mean, blessed are those too. But blessed are those who spread the good news. Blessed are the peacemakers. And blessed are those that as they're spreading the good news are willing to take it on the chin for the good news. Verse 9 I'm sorry, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, do you want to know who gets in the kingdom? Here's who gets in the kingdom. They see their poverty of spirit. They're broken over it. They're humbled by it. They look outside themselves to the righteousness of someone else. They receive mercy. They're committed to Christ. They tell others about Christ, and they're willing to take it on the chin for Christ. That's who gets in the kingdom. The Beatitudes is a great way to sit down with somebody and explain to them a Christian. Now, you won't find this advocated in the self-esteem culture of which we live. They can't get past the first Beatitude. Poor in spirit? You do understand that Whitney Houston told us that the greatest love of all is the love you have for yourself. I don't care what Whitney Houston told you. I care what Jesus is teaching us. And what Jesus is teaching us is this is the kingdom where the broken get restored and the only people that will get in are the, will, the people willing to say, I'm broken, I'm a beggar, I got nothing. Question and final question, number three, how do we get in? If what we get into is the kingdom where the broken gets restored. And who gets in is the broken. It only makes sense. The, the sick are the ones that follow the parade of the great physician. So then how would we get in? How would we get in? One word for you, and it's what the whole series is about, grace. <laughs> how else could you get in, you broken beggar? You think you're going to get in and say, boy, I earned this. I got here on my own. No, everybody that gets in the kingdom gets in with a story of grace. It's why nine times this word, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. This is not Jesus' way of saying, oh, bless your heart. You know, that's Christian lingo. Oh, sweetie, bless your heart. It's not what Jesus is saying. And he doesn't mean happy. 
I hear that translation and I want to cringe. The word blessed literally means one who receives, listen, divine favor. In other words, you would be perfectly biblical if you took the word blessed out and put this word in. Graced are the poor in spirit. Graced are those who mourn. Graced are those who are meek. Graced are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Graced are the merciful and on and on. It is a description in the Beatitudes of someone who has experienced the radical and redeeming grace of God. The king kingdom is for the broken, and the only way in is grace. Blessed, graced are these. It's quite different than the Pharisees, is it not? The Pharisees are what? Whitewashed tombs. They uphold their image. They look good. The problem is they're full of deadness. And they don't get the kingdom. Who gets the kingdom is the exact opposite. The people who say, I have no image to put forward. I'm a beggar. And to them, Jesus says, by grace, come on in. Faith family, this is why we must remind ourselves of the gospel every day, and it's why I'm committed only to preaching the gospel to you. Here's why. Two things. Number one, it's because the gospel produces this brokenness, this poverty of spirit, because when we stand before the cross, we can't help but see our poverty. Do you understand? Like, you can't create like, okay, I'm going to be poor in spirit. No, no, no. You already are. And the cross exposes it. When you stand before God himself in the flesh, dying for our sin, your response is going to be, I got nothing. I'm a beggar. Uh, Friday night, I was with one of our missional communities, and we were having some Q&A and talking about different things. And uh, one of the things that was brought up, because we're, we're talking about grace on the weekend services, so, and this was such a great question and situation, they said, it's very difficult for me to wrap my mind around the fact that God could give grace to somebody that kills a child. You ever struggled with that? Like, a child murderer? Like, how, how in the world... Could God give grace to someone like that? Um, to which I said, uh, I know that is very difficult for me to get my mind around given the fact that I am one. And the tension in the room was a lot like the tension in the room right now. Like, uh, did the elders run a background check on this guy? I mean, we knew he was crazy, but whoa. And then I proceeded to explain because it was my sin that killed the very Son of God. I'm a child murderer because my sin screamed, crucify him. And you think I'm going to stand before the cross and make much of me? You think I'm going to stand before the cross and have anything in my hands of which to bring but tears and sorrow? To which you would say, no. If I believed that, I would despair. 
if I, I, in some ways, I can't even believe that you just said what you said. That's scandalous to think of it that way. If I thought of myself in that way, I'd have no hope at all. Not if you understood the gospel. Because secondly, the gospel not only produces brokenness, but the gospel provides hope because when we stand before the cross, we see God's love. Do you understand? When I stand before the cross, here's what I see, that apart from Jesus, that's important, apart from Jesus, I have nothing, I'm a sinner. But here's the good news, God really and radically loves sinners, which means I'm perfectly qualified for his love, not because of the deeds that I have done, but because God radically loves someone like me. How am I going to despair? I see my poverty, but I also see his love, and both come to us in the gospel. You are a broken beggar, and God loves every ounce of you. Every single bit of your brokenness, God loves. And he doesn't want to leave you in that brokenness. He wants to any man, any woman be in Christ. They are a new creation. The old is past. Behold, all things are new. He wants to start that work of restoration in you. Now, that will be your grace song for eternity. So I ask you two questions as we close. Have you experienced the grace of God? Have you? Faith family, look at me. I know the view is not all that great, but look at me. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? As the way Jesus has described it. I'm not asking if you walked an aisle. I'm not, listen, you can be in a church and not in the kingdom. I'm not asking if you checked the box. I'm not asking what prayer you prayed. I'm saying, have you seen your poverty of spirit and cried out for radical grace? Yes. If not today, would you? Would you mourn over what you've done? Would you crucify your image? Come broken in pieces by faith as God, by His grace, starts putting you back together? Would you do that? Others of you, maybe you are a Christian, and this series is just about saying, okay, I thought I understood grace, but I don't understand grace. God, take me deeper. Take me deeper. Second question, are you expressing the grace of God? Are you expressing the grace of God? I'll give you, give you a couple of practical examples. One, evangelism. You say, how is evangelism the expression of God's grace? Because evangelism is one broken beggar telling another broken beggar where they found grace. It's, I saw my poverty of spirit, and I saw the redeeming radical grace of God in my life, and I know a whole bunch of other broken beggars that I would love for them to be in this grace parade with me. That's all evangelism is. You're making it way too complicated. Go tell people about the grace you've experienced in Jesus. Oh, but, but, but I, got, I got to memorize 25 verses and have this system down pat. No, you don't. 
I mean, I'm all for memorizing verses and I'm all for having a, a strategy. I'm not against any of that. But at the end of the day, if that's paralyzing you from telling you others about Jesus, go back to grace and you'll find all the motivation you need. This is evangelism. Secondly, service. Here's what I mean. Ministry is nothing more than this prayer. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Examples, very practical. Um, I want to I want to give my life to marriages to see marriages restored. What are you seeing happen? You're seeing the kingdom of God come in that marriage as brokenness gets bit, gets put together in restoration. Um, it, it, it's, uh, it's maybe people who are struggling in their finances and they haven't connected uh, with proper biblical stewardship and they're a mess, they're broken, and you enter in to serve them to help get their finances on track so that it's in line with God's design. That's the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Are you tracking with me? Are you involved in the ministry of reconciliation? And I don't know how that looks like for you. That For some of you, it's your passion for the poor. For some of you, it's your passion for marriages. Uh, whatever it is, you ought to be involved in kingdom ministry, which is so generic the way we use that term. It is simply you're devoting your life to the restoration of all things, here and forever. Faith family, the kingdom of God I trust I've shown you faithfully from God's word this morning is a grace parade. It is a grace parade. It's not for the spiritually beautiful, it's for the spiritually broken. And you don't need to take my word for it. Just take the word of a king. I don't mean Charles. I mean David. Do you remember David? Boy, did he have an image. He had it all. He had conquered lands. He, had, he was popular among the people, loved, revered, athletic, musical, according to the Bible, quite the good dancer. Bro could strut, man. <laughs> if there was ever an image you wanted, it was his. Until one day through the prophet Nathan, he comes face to face with his sin. And David learns about the kingdom. And he tells us what he learned in Psalm 51, verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. No. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. The kingdom of God is a grace parade. Look here, faith family, and the only people walking in it are walking with a limp. So get over your fear of being broken and live in the freedom by acknowledging you already are. For maybe, 
just maybe, then we would understand the grace that's behind the words Jesus said when he said this. This is my body broken for you. Graced are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, you know every single life in this room right now. And I pray that by your Spirit, you would come in this place and reveal our poverty. That you would show us the beauty of your grace for broken beggars. Because my guess is that there are a lot of people in this room that if they were like honest, if they were really able to get past their image, their life is shattered glass. Their marriage is shattered glass. Their finances, it's shattered glass. Because their life has reflected a lot more of the culture than it has the kingdom. And your grace is so beautiful, it meets us in that brokenness. And it begins by your grace to put it back together. It shouldn't, but it does. So we come before you this morning with all of our broken pieces, that by your grace we would join the grace parade. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen.